Thanks for listening to this Word in Your Ear podcast. If you'd like to get early access to all our productions ad-free, priority booking for our live events, and to take part in our weekly quiz, go to patreon.com slash wordinyourear for more details. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Listening to a podcast from the Word, and it fades out, doesn't it? Yeah. Ideally, Matt. That's How the way long does it last for? About thirty-five, forty minutes, yeah, something really. like that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it, we can wander off on all kinds of anything. You and feel do like, and yeah, frequently, and frequently do. So don't be, don't be concerned if we appear to be talking about <laughs> something that's good. Last night's football, or God knows what. Well, I'm no, no good on that. I'm no good on that. Or, or anything like that. Oh, nice up here. You've got a good feel. You do. You Barbican do. over there, is it? Yes. Anyway, <clears> I don't know. Play Okay, you're in charge. So here we are, the Word Podcast. And she names Matt Hall. Matt Hall. And special guest this week, Jonathan Green. Jonathan Green. Jonathan uh, tells me that the, it's the first time he's been... He used to come to this area of, uh, of beautiful, colourful Islington. I really don't know what, John, I don't know what Jonathan used to come to this area for. <laughs> I came to this area with my rat, my beloved rat, Maud Emily. M-O-R-D-E-M-L-Y. Maud, there's a very good... I can see, even now, Amwell Street out the window, and there is a very, very good vet where the vet claims he's an Australian who had a wallaby sleeping on his bed when he was a child, and this made him into a vet. Um, anyway, it's very good to my little rat, who's now gone to rat heaven, although I wrote about her on the net. Well, so that's uh, Pet Corner to start with. That is indeed Pet Corner, yes. um, and, uh, You did ask. This is not a natural connection between that, that creature that shuffled off this mortal coil and um, Levi Stubbs, who died in the last week. Yeah. Levi Stubbs well, of the yes. Four Tops. Yes. Uh, not eulogised anything like enough, I don't think. No. Terribly, terribly missed, actually, and terribly missed, uh, passed over. I was, I was doing some reading... Um, about Levi Stubbs, and I came. It's a terrible piece of ignorance of mine, who purports to be not a student of Motown, but somebody who grew up with Motown. I'd never heard of the Andantes. Have you ever heard of the Andantes? No. The Andantes were four women who used to sing uncredited on on Motown records, right? Right. And so they could have been the Supremes. They could have been Martha and the Vandellas. But if you look at them, and I've seen film of them not long ago, they're just ordinary-looking people. And what became of them? Are they now dead? They, they're, no, they're still around. They oh, still kind of tour. They do oldish shows or whatever. But apparently they were the great 
the great secret element in the Four Tops recordings, that they used to swell the sound with these four women. And if you go back and listen to Reach Out, I'll Be There, or Baby, I Need Your Loving, and all those things... I've been doing an awful lot. You can, you can hear those things. It's absolutely astonishing. And, you know, you've got this mighty voice of Levi Stubbs, absolutely front and centre in the way that no voice has ever been if ever there was before or since. It was more appositely named for an Old Testament prophet. <laughs> it was Levi well, Stubbs. Well, is he the only... Was he the only Levi in pop? Because I couldn't think of another one, can you? Ooh. That's a good one. No. You know, there's, there's probably some member of some alt-country group who's had himself rechristened Levi. Was yes. One of the Leuven brothers must have been called Levi. No, it's Ira and uh, Charlie and Ira, I okay. think. Ira, he's not, not many Iras anymore. No, you don't no. get Iras like you no. used to. But anyway, Levi Stubbs, and I think his, his, his full second name was... Was it Stubblefield? Stubbins. Wasn't it? Stubbins. Yeah. So he had the good sense to kind of abbreviate yeah, yeah. that. But anyway, so that's the end antics. And the other thing that struck me, listening to those records yesterday, massive sound, but God, they were clever at Motown. The thing you can hear so pronounced at the front of everything is the finger clicks. <laughs> On the yeah. top of absolutely everything, this mountain of noise. Out of the four tracks that they probably that they used to record, they probably had one for finger clicks. <laughs> Somebody's job was just to stand near the mic and go like that, you know. And it's amazing how pronounced those things are, you know. So other finger clicks in, you know, most distinguished finger clicks in pop. We'd like yeah. to hear about. And I, and, and because I was bored this morning on the train, I started thinking of counting counting numbers in pop. What, like Seven Rooms of Gloom and things no, like no, that? No, but it had to be band, band names or uh, artist names. Go on. So, only ones, the other two. Oh, OK. Big the three. The three, or the big three. OK. Four the tops. Four. Of course, OK. Grandmaster Flash, Flash and the Furious Five. Or, or the, Dave Clark Five. Oh, right, or the Five Stairs. Go on, Jonathan, join in now, come on. <laughs> but I, I keep got, my nerdishness to slang. <laughs> I got stuck at six. Oh, God. Artist names. Well, there's right? Unit 4 plus 2. <laughs> Does that count? work. Okay. Well, you know, I'm sure there's got to be a six. That's a good thread, isn't it, for yeah. the website? Wordmagazine.co.uk. You know, I'll... High as we can go, please. Yes, yeah, as high as we can go. See, there's a group called the So-So 23. <laughs> so, as I said, special guest... 23 Skidoo. 23 Skidoo! A slang phrase which no one knows where it came yeah. from. Oh, yes. Like, I, you've got a reference. We'll get to that in, in a second, Jonathan. Okay. Other those another um, those another um, slang expressions which are kind of given birth to pop groups uh, you know is, is one of the rich themes in, in Jonathan's book the, the chamber slang dictionary which I've got an enormous kind of uh, doorstop of a copy of here it's actually a slim volume because what I'm working on I mean this is, is a four volume version which the difference being that, that there's this big database which has about 550,000 citations usage examples in it and it starts from 1500, and it deals with all English language slang. So, Australia, America, New Zealand, South Africa, the English-speaking bits, Caribbean, the English-speaking bits, Ireland. Can't remember where I've missed, but they're all there. India? In, no, not India. India is interesting because there's there, basically there's, there's IVE, Indian Vernacular English, but it's not where the slang is. I checked this out. The slang it may sound some of it very weird to us. But it's not considered to be slang. The slang is in the actual languages like Urdu and Hindi and so on. And right. that 
is outside my remit. Yes, uh, you're going <laughs> to stop somewhere. beyond my competence. And so, I mean, there was quite a lot of slang in the Raj, and there was a book came out in 1886, which is known as Hobson Jobson, which is actually written by two people called Yule and Burnell. And I have this fantasy that I was actually taught maths by this when I was about ten, by this man called Colonel Yule, who used to talk about the joys of pig sticking when he'd been ninja. <laughs> and he, he was a man who... If only we were all taught by a former pig sticker well, I from India. Exactly. I mean, he, he used to do it with the gestures. It was very good. But no pigs, alas. I mean, I was only eight. It was good. Let's, let's get... Anyway, enough. <laughs> let's do potted biog, Jonathan. Just to tell people, uh, you know, who you are and where you come from. Because I... Jonathan Green... The first time we've met, but I, I've kind of... Jonathan Green is a name I've been aware of since I was... A teenager, I think, to be fair, and probably from journalistic contributions, but subsequently wrote a book that very, I found very impressive that came out, I don't know, probably 10, 20 years ago, called The Days, Days in the Life. I fear the word is 20. 20 years ago. <laughs> Almost to the day. So 20 years ago, Jonathan put out a book called Days in the Life, and if anybody wants uh, a kind of memoir of uh, what I suppose we're forced to call the counterculture in Britain in the late 60s... Forced rejoicing. Okay. Jonathan wrote the book, and it's an absolutely terrific, terrific What you haven't said, which is more to the point, and, and while I wrote it in the, te- in, in the sense of tapping out the keyboard, I think it was keyboarded by that time, just, um, it was an oral history. And what I did is I went around and interviewed about 120 survivors, and they were survivors of that 60s period. That Basically, it was hippie London from, from the sort of mid-60s through to the, through to the mid-70s. The counterculture, the underground, the alternative society... What shocks me now is about 15 of my interviewees are no longer with us. Oh, wow. Be they Derek Taylor of Beatles fame as the, or, or, or much less well-known people. Yeah. But they don't half pop off. I mean, a great friend of mine died only the other week. And, and yet and I'm beginning to wonder whether the book has a curse. Well, I don't think it has a curse. It's an oral history of that period. I was lucky. I got a lot of people who were relevant from Paul McCartney downwards. And this was actually, I've always assumed, that this is when Paul starts saying it was me that was the alternative, groovy, underground one. John was just a wanker, you know. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, and I sort of, I thought, well, I, I never felt that at the time, and nobody did. So, but but you, you have the kind of credentials to write it, because you were there. That's I was there, I was there. Well, so I went, you were there in what, in what role? I, well, I went to university, and when I came out of university, I then... So when, when did you come out of university? 69. So I was slightly towards the end, but I... I basically wrote to something called Rolling Stone UK. Okay, short-lived. Um, short-lived, but enormous fun. I mean, Financed you know, by Mick Jagger, I think. Or it right? was indeed, and that was the sofa on which he, I was, we were told, or I was told, and I was like, oh, see that sofa? It does it with Marianne, and over there's with, well, I don't know whether it was Jerry at the time, or whoever the hell it yeah, was. Well anyway. before Jerry. And it was, was a... No, there was, the, there was the wonderful moment when they had the launch press conference, and very uptight Jan Wenner was there, and this was in this, I mean, this amazing office, old, it was knocked down once we left, but it it was a huge grand office, and Wenner stands up and says, well, of course, you know, we've got to get on now, we're not all here to drink Mick Jagger's wine, and Jagger stands up and says, I think we are. <laughs> and um, you know, it was all very jolly. And it ended up when Mark Boland was, was, it was a huge party we had, and everything was spiked. And Boland was given some bad acid in the way of these things, and Boland freaked. It's all in Days in the Life. I've interviewed his late, dead, sadly, wife, June. And I think after that, things tended to freak out, and in literally and metaphorically, when I had the place shut down, it all went back to the States. We then started something, God help me, called Friends, Friends of Rolling Friends with a Z? Which no, I no, 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 excuse me, excuse me. Oh, Friends okay. with an S. Friends oh, okay. With Friends with an S came first. Friends with a Z. I'd left by Friends with a Z. Gone <laughs> down market. They, lost, they couldn't spell anymore. Um, it was appalling. It was, you know, pre-hip-hop spelling. And, and it was... Um, <laughs> 
So what did you use it to write about? What did I write about? I, I don't know. I mean, according, I, I forget now, but one thing I knew, I could only spell America with three Ks. <laughs> that, that was very important. That, that was the K. KKK, of course. It was stuck on the typewriter. No, no, no. It was the Ku Klux Klan, man. It was America, Pig America, off the pig, up against the wall, etc. We wrote about it. I did weird things, you know. You did things like the, white, you know, the Isle of Wight festivals. You did local stuff about the black world. You did local stuff about the, the young hippie world. You did a lot of rock and roll. Because, I mean, we came out of the rock and roll world. And so we did as much of that. But it gradually drifted away as we got more wasted, I think. And the thing also, all, a lot of that stuff went into the enemy, didn't it, yeah. around about that time? Well, people of course, like Alan Smith looked at it and thought, we could do with some of that. Well, Charlie Murray, Charles Shaw Murray, never worked with us, but he worked for Oz, of course. He was one of the Oz school kids, yeah. the, the hiring of whom created the trial back in 71, the obscenity trial. Um, who else? Nick Kent did work, I think, for us briefly. Um, various of these alumni passed yeah, through. Yeah. I mean, Gordon Byrne, I think, well, technically I might have given him his first London job, but he was much, much, much better and smarter than we were, and he went off to do greater things. Yeah, yeah. So David May, who went off to the Sunday Times, all sorts of people sort of filtered through that. I mean, I drifted around and I did that for a while, and I maybe sold a little dope and stopped selling a little dope and, and, and did Time Out and Oz. I edited after the trial because they were all in the nick for a while. And there was a, I, was a, I think there was an... A, a, Paul Richard Neville sitting in jail, the editor of Oz. Picture of me in the Daily Mirror or the Sunday Mirror with my feet, God help me, on the table. And Richard apparently turns and says, well, it's an ill, will, Ill wind, isn't it? <laughs> rather grumpily. But he did rather well out of it, I thought. So, so your experience of, of going back and writing Day in the Life, you know, you're in a position to, to either confirm or deny the old story that those who were there in the 60s don't remember it. You know, if you were Bollocks. there... Bollocks, bollocks and bollocks, except for those... Who, it's just such a... It's just a silly little slack journalist. I mean... Forgive me for getting no, mounting my no, high no, horse. No, no, it's bullshit. I mean, you know, you burnt your brain. There was a certain culling. There was a certain culling around the beginning of the 70s. The people who'd made their way into smack, there was a, a culling thereof. And I sound callous, but a lot of people died then. Those were not the people I interviewed. But on the whole, people were all too keen. In fact, some people, who shall be nameless, wouldn't bloody shut up. I mean, you know, four hours, the take. Also, it was like... This is 1986, 87, and it was like a, a, a it's before skunk, I think, but it was, it was still, it was like going back to those old days when you got up with a joint, made your way through the day with a joint, and went to bed with a joint. And, and um, some of these were sort of endurance tests, and I can hear, I would go back and transcribe the tapes, and I could hear myself getting vaguer and vaguer, and there'd be these wonderful non sequiturs. But somehow we did it, yeah. and I got a lot of good people, and they talked a lot. It, it's, it's an important book, and I don't say that anything to do with me. I got lucky. I asked the right it's questions very at the good right book. time. Highly recommended. Thank and you. So, so um, when you see the 60s kind of recreated, you know, and absolutely fabulous or you know every other film nowadays you know the, I the, turn away quite the, the, I mean what's, I what's the misconception a... about how things were in that time that most gets your goat I think the main mis misconception is that it was a, an all-embracing movement they were actually I mean okay I mean the 120 people I interviewed and I didn't get some of the real superstars unfortunately like Jermaine Greer who refused um, but you know, this was not the entirety, but I would say we're talking thousands, not hundreds of thousands of people. It was a very London-orientated event. Absolutely. It was a very small group of people. It was very middle class. It was very elitist. It was very hierarchical. I would argue whether there was really a sexual revolution. Um, 
much of what there was people lots of fancy, sex. There was lots of sex, but there wasn't perhaps as much as you might have, might, one might have hoped. Um, but the reality. Oh, tell us more. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> a word. Um, but um, in all seriousness, I think a lot of what is seen as the sixties actually is the seventies. But the seventies have got such a bad rep that you know who wants to be talk about the seventies. But a lot of it, you know, the, the big rock. Okay, apart from the Isle of Wight, the big rock and roll festivals that I remember going to are all nineteen seventy and onwards. Yeah, yeah. So on. So it's decade lag, isn't it? it is, I, I, mean, I, think, really... I think the eighties get the blame for a lot of things that actually happened in the nineties. Yeah. Well, I was really you know, something... the huge prosperity and vulgar consumption it was a nineties thing more than an eighties thing. I must have missed, uh, missed both of them. But yeah. I mean, I was reading something only today. I mean, in, in, in some you know some of these reviews talking about American, just talking about the the, the British obsession with decades, and maybe we do have it. Oh, well, we have it but more than you, other people. I mean, if we you do it with do. the sixties, I mean. One of the things I put in the, in the, in the intro to, to Days in the Life is when does it actually begin? Does it begin in 1947 with the Beatniks? Because there's an argument that it does. Does it begin in 1957 with the publication of On the Road, which is, after all, only talking about 1947? Does it begin with Aldermaston in 58, the, the anti, the CND marches? Does it begin with the poetry reading in the Albert Hall in 1965? Okay. And when does it end? Does it end with the Austral? Does it end with this? That, that, that? Does I'll, it end with the burial of Hippie in 1967? I have a terribly superficial take on this, you know, because I, I was one of those people who was slightly younger, you know, and, and living in Yorkshire and used to keep in touch with these things by, you know, smuggled copies of IT and no. ours and Francis. And this was the only way you got to know about this, this kind of London. My take on it is entirely to do with hair. I think I think it started when people were allowed to grow their hair, and it kind of stopped when people were no longer bothered about if you growing their hair. This is a very good. This is this is exactly the kind of thing that I've been battling against my entire professional <laughs> life, but um, I'll manage. But if you if you look in, all, in a tiny bit of seriousness or something at the picture of the, what was called the t- the twenty four hour Technicolor Dream at the Alley Pally before one of its many burnings down in nineteen sixty seven. How short the hair yes, is. Yes, what yes. a bunch of 50s students we all have. Oh, yeah? Really? That's I the mean, thing you think looking at Bob Dylan's Don't Look Back when you see yeah. those fans coming out of the, the concert. You know, they look ready to go in the army. Well, I mean, yeah, well, I mean you know. There's no outward manifestation of. You're not that the far away from, away from folk. No. After all, I mean, I went to see, I think, the 65 Dylan. I mean, it was, I mean that was all the. Well, that, it's funny, though. I would have sworn that I heard someone say Judas, but they can't it <laughs> out because they were in Manchester. Yes. But I still believed my dying day that I did. There was some shouting. It was there before. Anyway, be that as it may. So now uh, you, you... Then I gave up all that for a real life of slang, lexicography. I mean, I sort of... So where did you start with slang? Um, when did I start? I think early 80s, when basically I looked at my predecessor, who was a man called Eric Partridge, and I said... What, predecessor in the slang world? In the world. slang world, yes, yes, yes. I, there was a previous professor of slang. slang. Slang slang, has been collected since approximately 1535 in a book called The Highway to the Spittle House. The Highway to the Spittle House is, is a long poem by a man called Robert Copeland, who was an apprentice, or had been, to Caxton, Britain's first printer. And Copeland is allegedly standing outside Bart's Hospital in Smithfield. Not far from here. Not far from here and talking to the Bart's porter and saying, who are all these scabby bastards hanging around here <laughs> trying to get money off me and so on? And the porter says, ah, oh, these are, and launches into, well, I think it's 38 slang words saying what they are. Right. Um, and he's the first. And they've been a sort of thin 
chain, a line of somebody choreographers. I happen to be waving the flag at the moment. And were those 38 slang words? Were they all no. describing the same thing, or were they different? I don't know. They were, they were like nude, loitering, yeah, yeah. lusks and laurels and so on and so forth. And I've got that. to interrupt for a second and do something I meant to do when I introduced Jonathan. Forgive me. Okay. If anybody thinks they're likely in any way to be offended by any of the words that I used in the next half an hour, please, please, and I mean this sincerely, stop listening now. A magazine, a website, a podcast, the word. Okay, they've gone. Right? So we're among grown-ups. Right, let's get in. (laughs) However, I would like to say at this point that this, of course, is the typical kind of generalising, uninformed attitude people have to my my work. (laughs) There are, there are two things people think. Oh, I, I want to write this book, which I am now going to be saying, because I want to write a book called Apples and Pears and Fucking. Why? The reason I want to write that is because that is what, and I'm being Mr. Snotty here, rather than Mr. Slang, which Martin Amos kindly called me, because that's what people think it is. Rhyming slang and the obscenities. Well, let's deal with rhyming slang. Rhyming slang is actually a London dialect when yep. it comes down to it. You know, if rhyming slang had come out of Liverpool, out of Newcastle, out of somewhere like that, we'd talk about it as a dialect. It wouldn't be in my book, and no one would give a, a damn. Oh, really? Um, I, I, that's my belief. It, it's, it's so... Lun- but because London is so dominating in this country... It, in the same and has way, become what more standard so English, What standard English is, what people talk about standard English as much as there is, in the days, BBC English, Oxford, uh, whatever you want to call it, is the dialect that happened to be dominant around London, Oxford, Cambridge, so on, around 1450s. Where the power bases were, it's the dialect that hung in there. Slang has the same benefit from being London. London is the dominant place. So rhyming slang is really... A dialect in okay. the first place. In the second place, there's probably in the entire history of rhyming slang, which starts in about 1815, first recorded in 1857, maybe 3,000, maybe 3,000 words. That's rhyming slang. It is, if, of all the slangs, it is, the, it is the most ephemeral. All right, apples and pears is still in there. But anyway, so that is that. I can offer something in the region of 125,000 different slang words and phrases. 3,000 is a very small percentage. The dirty words, the obscenities. I think it was sometime in the 70s, I think it was George Carlin, the American comedian, got out on his hind legs and delivered a monologue of, in fact, what turned out to be the, the Dirty 13. And, 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 I mean, there are 13 of them. I mean, we can go through them if you like, but you might prefer for me to resist. Um, Let's let everyone think. Some, are, some have eight letters, some have more, some have less. So there are 13... But this is a good challenge. Yes. <laughs> Maybe what, not on the website. The, the canonical of 13. It. There are 13... I believe 13 Basic... Well, obscenities, there, there are those, yes, I mean, there's the F word, the right. S word, the C word. Oh, it's, so they it's generally relate to bodily functions. Ah, well, that's another, yes, they do indeed. And, and in fact, that's, that is, there's three, there's been three, but they all, just to finish off my, that point. Yes, sorry. The sorry. point being simply that there are not very many of them. What there are a lot of is the synonyms. So, okay, we have, I, th- I can't remember whether Carlin went for prick or cock. Right. But, but once you but got we, that... That's, that's, okay, so we have standard English penis. We have poor old Eric Partridge, my predecessor. Let's stay on the penis. It's a safe area. Let's right? stay on the penis, yes. <laughs> let's stay on the penis. Let's wave our willies. Um, I'd get hold of it. Partridge, Partridge, poor man, who was, who was terrified of it. He wasn't terrified, but he didn't like it. So he, he, he in his first edition in 1937, it's the Membrum Virile. <laughs> the, the virile member. For that matter, as far as I... I 
having, ha, having it away, or one of the 1500, is, is sub feminine, to leave a woman beneath oneself. So, so if you're, and if the you're worst thing is the vagina, which I think in Latin, I can't remember the Latin, but it means that, that of which a woman should be ashamed. And this is how poor old Partridge puts all this. So if you're a 14-year-old in those days, yes. you went to the school library and got out the dictionary, exactly. thinking, I'm going to look at the dirty words, says, you'd get something in Latin. It says pudendum mulierum. <laughs> poor little buggers. <laughs> now, my book, on the other hand, so the great difference, though, of course, between him and me, is that he has the word nigger, and it says black person. Yeah, he yeah. has the word wog, and it says brown person. He has the word queer, and it says homosexual. No comment. No comment. I mean, I don't go into it, but I do say derog, as yes, is derogatory. Sure. I mean, the interesting point, and I talk about in the introduction, is to what extent... Slang is a, neg- slang is a seriously negative language. Yes, talk about We do about not do really caring, sharing, and compassion, as they say, <laughs> sweet fuck all. And there is no... It just doesn't do it. And I, I, I've said, I mean, it's a bad joke. You know, love is, love is a, the least interesting of the four-letter words. It's, it's, I'm not the first person to come out with that one. And, you know, if slang calls a spade a spade, it's because it can't think of anything ruder at the time. I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's very aggressive. It's very putting down. It's to do, if you look at the taxonomy, what's in the book, I mean, there's, you know, 1,500 penises, 1,500 vaginas, a couple of thousand sex, there's a, and so on and so forth. It's all negative. It's fat people. It's ugly people. It's, it's got nothing nice to say. And I mean, who was it? There was an American president's wife, I think, who said, if you have nothing, she, I think it embroidered on a cushion. If you've got nothing nice to say about anybody, come and sit next come to me. Come and sit by she me. She would have liked me. <laughs> I have very little. I but slang. But you, know. you said it, yeah, um, uh, one of the points you, you, you make is that uh, it's, it's a male thing, isn't it? It's a very, it is fascinating. I mean, a woman called Dale Spender, I think, in about 1981, wrote a book called Man Made Language, which was not about slang. But my goodness, if she felt. Standard English is, is man-made. She should try slang. I mean, again, back to, back to our penis. I mean, the difference between the penis words and the vagina words, and, and, and get around to the fucking words, is that the penis words are all what I call toys for boys. Guns, knives, clubs, daggers. There is, of course, even a joystick, but it isn't from computer games. It's from the RAF. Um, there's all sorts of stuff like that. There's swords. There, we, in other words, as I say, boys for toys. The vagina, on the other hand, is a snare, and a trap, and an alleyway. May or may not have teeth. Probably has something on a terrible bit of metal. Scares the shit out of us. So boys. it's not invented by a woman. It is not invented by a woman, and it's, it, the, the slang vagina is invented by men. And as far as fucking goes, as far as intercourse goes, it, it's all violence. It's all violence. I mean, it's basically men hitting women. There's a subset, which is what I call the DIY subset, which is banging and screwing and poking and nailing and all that sort of, kind That's of really stuff. That's because, like, having kind of small children, having small children, uh, a daughter of four and a boy of one, you realise that actually... There's one name. There's there's lots of names that you can give a boy's penis. You can say it's a Willy. <laughs> That's know. the middle class name of, of choice I've read. <laughs> yeah, Winky. But are there any? Winky is. There's not one name for a small girl's no, vagina sure. or parts. Well, there's lots in my book. Yeah, I can recommend yeah. many. Yeah, but there's not one that, that is kind of you. Well, I think that everybody no. knows. Place of shame is probably <laughs> good. Okay, that's what I'll start to. Well, you should go. No, what you should go to is is, is 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 Cleland's wonderful book, Fanny Hill: Memoirs of a Woman of Pleasure, which was the first and possibly only piece of what is, in the end, hardcore pornography. It came out in 1748 with not a single word of obscenity in it. <laughs> it. It has the most lubricious, bawdy, sexy, over-the-top 
scenes of scenes of erotic pleasure, and not once does anybody say anything that requires four letters. Yeah, yeah. More likely five sentences. <laughs> so maybe there's something for your little girl there, but let's, far bit from me. Let's return to something we touched, that you touched on earlier, which, which very much interests me. You, know, you turn on the average evening's television nowadays, and you will hear, before the end of the evening, the F words. Mm -hmm. no, F word. And you'll hear lots of other things as well. Used more freely, you know, in general, kind of, you know, th those words will be used in, in posh newspapers and so forth. In, in a way but that only never posh were. newspapers. That Possibly. is one of my facets. That to yeah. me is that I've always, I've tried to, no one knows. I've asked people on, tab on, on, on broadsheet news, why is it that I'm allowed if I write you an article, you don't mind if I write the word fuck? Yeah. Don't know, but it's all right. You but can. you couldn't do it in the Mail on Sunday. You yeah, couldn't do it yeah. in the Daily Mail. Well, I just got asked to write a piece for the Mirror, but you know, none of that. Thank you. Right. And of course, the BBC is totally against it. Although, be, no, uh, well, hang on. The BBC, BBC Radio seems to be, or certainly the bits that I encounter, because whenever they, I, I occasionally get rung up because some politician said something in Parliament or something, or some celebrity or whatever. You know, I mean, as if we cared for Christ's sake. But. We do care, apparently. So they ring me up and they ask me. And they always say, well, now, Jonathan, the first thing you've got to remember is you mustn't use the word yourself. And so I, and I do, and I do Mr. Smartass and say, well, you know, we're all adults, etc., etc." But, you know, there is an element of truth in this. What on earth are we worrying about these little aggregations of vowels and consonants? But, what is so frightening about them still? But at the same time, what fascinates me is those things I use very relatively freely, certainly compared to how they used to be. But once you get into the area of kind of you know, the sort of umbrella that people would refer to as in a politically correct area. People are incredibly careful. You know what I mean? That's and what so I love about people my People are more free about talking, about using these words, but all, at the same time absolutely terrified that they're going to cause offence. I think you've got three things happening. And you, you, you're absolutely right about PC. Not three things happening. Three things have happened. If you look at what is taboo, because what we're talking about is taboo language, you start off once upon a time when religion mattered... It's come back bizarrely and matters again. But um, when it, and, and so you didn't take the name of your, the Lord your God in vain. And so all those funny things like zoons and odds bodikins were actually coined to avoid being blasphemous. Yep. God's wounds, God's little body. I mean, it tends to be, it's really Jesus, but they will say God for some reason. Odds lickings and so on and so forth. Odds and snails, which is God's nails. Again, it's the nails <laughs> of the cross. Really? Oh, yes, yeah, snails. But all that stuff meant. So what happens? But what happens is that around 17, 1800, that starts to fade. You've got the enlighten, enlightenment. Okay. You've got anti-religion, or at least a, a, a civilized attitude to religion. Um, and also, you've got England, particularly, becoming Great Britain, and the accent being on the great and colonies and the French are doing this thing called the Académie Française, and they're doing a dictionnaire, and it's taken them 40 years to do, and aren't they proud? And who do we want to piss on? The French. <laughs> so we get Dr. Johnson. And one of the things Dr. Johnson... <laughs> now, this, is, this, is majorly, this is majorly simplistic. <laughs> a, but, I but, like but the idea. But we get Dr. Johnson, his eat drunken Scotsman, who he puts into an, an attic in, in, um, you know, down, down, in, down near Fleet Street, and they make his dictionary... And as and David, eight and as Scotsman made Johnson. Eight, 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 they were the, those were the ones who did the work. Johnson, well, Johnson was amazing. Johnson rewrote. If he didn't like Shakespeare, it didn't illustrate what he wanted it to. He would rewrite. Oh, absolutely. It. I mean, I like you know, I like a man who knows how to control his material. <laughs> but but so what, but among other things, so what what? But one of the reasons, you know, Johnson was not commissioned to keep the dirty words out. But the point is that there was this feeling that not merely were the French 
who are obsessive to this day about keeping their language within certain parameters and certain rules, keeping the English out, keeping out the franglais, all the rest yeah, of yeah. it, don't do it very successfully, but they still try to do, do it. Do they have the same obsession about kind of German words going into the language? A very good question. I don't know. I've no, I've never, I, only, I never ever think about it from the, from the franglais yeah. side. But the difference was that... So the attitude was, hey... We're more important than the French. Our language must be cleaner and smarter and, and more indicative of our wonderful imperial status. So I have this sort of image of all these words like that hitherto had been all right, be they piss or fuck or shit, whatever, which were basically to do with parts of the body and how we use them, which people had found acceptable or certainly colloquial, suddenly became sort of w were thrown out. This is not the kind of thing we want in our new shiny British Empire. Oh, see. And, and they are, I see this sort of Salvador Dali like desert with these poor words wandering around. And eventually the slang lexicographers take them in and give them a home. But what's happened in the last, I would say, 10 to 20 years is that this terror of our own bodies and what we do with them and these words that, that have been engendered by it, although for older generations I'm sure it's still in place, for younger people I don't think it matters a fuck or gives a toss, or whatever it might be. And I think what's much more important now is you're not going to say nigger, and you're not going to say yeah, queer. Yeah. Or, as and it's now referred to, which I've seen recently, it's not just the N-word anymore, it's now the N-bomb. <laughs> if you drop the N-bomb in conversation in America, it just wipes everything else but out. The, but but, but the, the weird thing about the N-word... Is the of course that it could be used it's, it's, by... Who uses it? Yeah. Well, I you just... Know, so you've got, you got the wire. Is like you take out the N-word from the wire. There's no script. It's a half hour. But I just, hour. I just read literally yesterday. It's, it's a reprint of a book that came out in 1969, and the name of this book, written by a black man, is The Life and Times of Mr. Jivas Nigger, right. which you could... In a sort of weird way, you could do... Well, a black person could always do, but it was a strange word to see on the cover of a book, even yeah, in 1969. Yeah. You did not expect to see it. Um, but, and it's about draft resistors um, screwing girls in Copenhagen, basically. Right. It's good. It's, yeah. it's good and interesting. But it's the title that surprises one. But anyway, I mean, that's, but slang on a whole, it's, it's to do with play and it's to do with synonymity. So it's got what I would call a narrow waterfront, sex, money... Not perhaps rock and roll, but rock and roll in the wider sense yep. of self-indulgence and hedonism. Um, being rude to people, being racist, being in every way politically incorrect, incorrect, forgive me. But it's a very na but it's a narrow waterfront. It just goes back so far. And as I say, because right. we, don't, we don't do caring and sharing, we don't do, the slang doesn't really do abstracts. It does concretes all the time. And, and, it, and it's, I suppose, the nearest to abstract is the gradation of ugliness a girl you failed to yes, fuck yes, last yeah, night yeah, happens, yeah, to, happens yeah, to be. Yeah. Um, and, and the Australians have made a special study on A them. very special study, <laughs> yes, indeed. And then they're two bags, one bag, all sorts of things. But uh, <laughs> what I would do with yours, what I would do with a 40 foot barge pole, a 10 foot barge pole. A face uh, like a bag full of spanners. Yes, very good. The face like thing, yes, I mean, it's. Oh, no. Bulldog chewing a wasp. But smack. <laughs> <but, laughs> But smack twats is surely a northernism, but I may be wrong. Uh, across, anybody come across that? No, uh, it's I in the book. It's no, in the book. Face like a smacked ass is something. It's like that, but I've said yeah. fa face full of smacked twats. I've come across. Oh, They're yeah. all sorts of charming. <laughs> anyway, so, none of which are flattering, which, which which just proves that slang is terrified of or disdains or obsessed this, this, with women. One of the interesting things. I mean, this is a you know it's a huge work of scholarship. This is this is a massive, great thumping. Great and the big dictionary. one of four volumes with the will citations be will I, I believe so. Will you know kill so all your household pets? But. Um, <laughs> And keep, and keep one all of your the things, tables from One of the things that fascinates me that you've done is you've obviously, 
you know, and this is presumably standard lexicography, you know, the way you work at it, is you've given separate derivations for, uh, for, for terms. Yeah. And I was looking at, I was looking at jazz. And I think you say, I know you, do, you don't want me to quote anything from the book in case no, you don't remember. No, no, remember. no, no, I, that, that one I can manage. Okay, well, go on, tell us about what you know about the derivation of the word jazz. Jazz is interesting. Jazz is one of, there, there is, there is a, there is a, a a website of which I am a part, which is called the American Dialect Society, and this is one of the words that obsesses them. 23 skidoo, which we mentioned earlier, also obsesses them, but that's simpler. Jazz is the big one. I mean, it's got everything for it because it's got race, it's got American self-image, it's got music, it's got multicultural. Well, it's, yeah, got, yeah. it's got the lot. And, and so where does the word come from? Nobody seems to know. There is a strange... There, there, there is a, a French word, jazé, which means to gossip, which there's one example of the statesman Talleyrand using around 1830 or something. That ain't it. The, Ameri- the American international, um, I think, I can't remember what they're called, but, they, you know, psychi- psychiatric people got very, very up in the bows and said it's a black word that means to have sex yep. and, and is absolutely unacceptable. That was in 1927. Because wasn't but that what, connected with jism? Well, that's what I was just coming to. Sorry. The reality, what what we find out, what we find out is that the first use of jazz is actually by a wonderful man called Scoop Gleason, who who is a reporter for the San Francisco, I can't remember what, but probably the Bulletin, I thought so, yes, the Bulletin. And he uses it in the context of a baseball team, I think the San Francisco Giants maybe, and he talks about the Ginica Fizz, the old jazz, and the team have got it. And, and, And the jazz is basically piss and vinegar, energy. It's therefore is sexually orientated because it's to, it comes back to jism and it's the equivalent, it's the semantic equivalent, of course, of spunk, which can both mean semen and mean courage and mean, can mean energy and, and vim and so on and piss and vinegar. And that's what jazz seems to come from. But nobody has been able to see where, from the first use about 1913, in the pages, the sports pages of the San Francisco Bulletin, how it slips across in 19, I think, 15 to Nick LaRocca's original jazz band, or whatever it's called. Yeah. From New Orleans. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. A completely yeah. different part of the country. Absolutely. So and it, and it does obsess people, and nobody knows. And, and, and I mean, I, I, my problem is that the sort of scholars on, on, on ADSL, American Dialect Society, they can spend weeks, months, indeed years, working out. And there's a guy called Jerry Cohen, who's a friend of mine, and about every year he does an update on jazz. You know, and the other thing they're obsessed with is hot dog. I mean, I, we want to begin. I mean, hot dogs to do with Yale and maybe even dogs. Who knows? All right. um, but, you know, they, they have this wonderful luxury of being able to devote an enormous amount of time to this kind of research, and I, of course, know where to go to benefit from it. I have 125,000 words and definitions I don't have that luxury. Right. I mean, 23 skidoo, for what it's worth since I've mentioned it, um, is the, the, the prevailing belief is that it may come from the Flatiron Building in at 23, uh, 23rd Street in New York, where Broadway crosses 23rd Street, and allegedly this is because it creates an artificial wind which blew up women's skirts, and the policeman would come along and say, Skidoo, <laughs> get the fuck out of it. But whether, whether this is, has the room... We, we, I'll, I'll buy that one, you mean? I'll buy that one, but that I don't think it's... It, it may work for you, but I don't, I'm not sure. But the truth mi- is... Another musical well, on. one. Sorry, go no, on. The, truth is, the, truth, is, the truth is... That, the truth is that I don't, nobody knows. I mean, the OED, the Oxford English Dictionary, are much more grown-up than me, because they will always say etymology unknown... I will always try and go for, offer something. 
Right. So another musical one, funk. Funk, which comes from smell, which is basically the smell of sex in this context, as far as I think the music ones can. But funk goes back, 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 back. I mean, funk goes back to at least 1600, where it's the stench of tobacco smoke. Yes. So it's the stench of tobacco smoke. So historically, it started as a smell, then applied to the smell of sex. Again, I mean, rather like jazz, there's some... If you've got the funk, if you've got funk. That's that's again, but I, I think... Now, is that the same etymology? I cannot remember at this second. I have okay. a feeling it probably is, actually. It's just, it's just divided. And again, the way jazz has moved from being jism to being music, which we don't, can't work it out, in the same way that, that this, has made the same, this has made the same turn. How, how does it happen? Why does it happen? It just does. Slang is a very difficult language to etymologize because... You know, it's all, it, one can have lots of fun with things like 23 Skidoo, but in the end, when you do a dictionary, put on my pompous hat, it's meant to be authoritative. And, and as I say, backing up my dictionary is well over half a million examples of the words. But all the examples in the world are not going to prove an etymology no, sometimes. This is moving all the time, isn't it? Because they, going back to funk and funky, the one thing that struck me recently is people use... Funky nowadays um, to uh, as a term of approval for a, a gadget or a device, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Somebody gets a new watch or a new uh, a new iPod or iPhone. It's really funky. Will be described as that's really funky. Well, it's very approving. Funky, it because well, it's got a pink case. Normally. Well, I don't know. No, there's something about. Uh, i this is just one tiny you know interpretation of one word. Of well, the ultimate example is of course cool. Right. Which a couple of friends of mine wrote a very good book, Dick Pounton and, and, and Dave Robbins, who sadly is the one who died recently. Um, actually, it's long. Anyway. And it's called Cool Rules. And I've, may I give it a plug? Because it's very good. And they, they trace <clears throat> what their basic thing is. Cool, once upon a time, had a real resonance, but now it's merchandisable. Yeah. And again, it's what lexicographers, I suppose, one would call it a weak use. And it's rather the same with funk, when you, when you bring it down to an iPod cover that's pink or something. I mean, it's no longer got anything to do with the sort of... Ele- I mean, it's to do with elementality and earthiness and so on and so forth. Funk as used in slang, in, in the modern sense. Uh, mod, by modern, I mean, you know, the black use, post-black use, 20th century... But um, cool is the same. Cool start well. Cool starts off in about 1728, a cool thousand dollars, a cool hundred quid. But and then it's used. God help us, at Eton in the 1890s, in kind of the same way as it's used in the more in the more general use to mean something of that. You know, to mean something you want to be. But now it's merchandise. I mean, well, but it is amazing. But though that every generation picks it up again. What, what strikes me about cool nowadays is it's used as a way to indicate what it means is acceptable. When, when teenagers or whatever use cool nowadays, I mean, it's all right. They're, the worst thing you can be is uncool. You know, because cool used to indicate a minority, cool now indicates the majority. This is cool very is much a gap what my friends were writing about, is that, you know, and, it, and, it's, and it's very easily accessible because at any one time we are now told by a load of magazines um, what is cool and what is Didn't not. Did a member of the Word Editorial staff recently select, help select the uh, cool brands of the year? Oh, right, did they? <laughs> oh, God. I would think somebody asked me to do one of that. I thought, no. Oh, really? I've no idea. I've no idea what is cool. Well, afterwards, oh, you can not. tell me. Well, <laughs> shout out, So that's Jonathan's book. And, and, you know, it's never too early to start to, uh, thinking of Christmas presents, is it, Matt? And this is 
30 of your English pounds. Fantastic. I'm, I'm, I'm sure Amazon will do a better deal. Yeah, they probably will. I mean, but this is, you know... Worth every penny. It's absolutely... I've, I've had it on a lectern at home because it's too big to carry around the house. And actually, uh, you know, uh, consulting it while in the kitchen. It's absolutely <laughs> extraordinary. Take, and, yeah. What's your, what's your favourite, John? I don't do favourites. You don't, you don't have a favourite. I don't. They're, they're all my babies. They're all... They're there all are so babies. many of them. It would be so unfair, wouldn't it? But I'm glad you've cleared... Oh, I know one thing we just wanted to touch on, which was um, what you've got are lots of examples of entertainers who've given their name uh, via rhyming slang to, you know, particular elements. You know, like, I suppose, you know, the classic one is, I see uh, Ruby Murray is not the only um, expression for curry. You've also got... Uh, Arthur Murray ran the uh, the dancing ran the, the dance, dance studio it's and amazing. another one as well. So you can apply to absolutely. What's fascinating any... is actually how many people get are immortalised in rhyming slang. I mean, but the idea yes, that you know, the idea, yes, the idea that in fifty years people still be talking about Britney Spears in the context of a beer, or indeed Jermaine Greer in the same context, let alone Poshan Bex to mean sex. I hate rhyming slang, if so, the truth be told. But it's a nece- <laughs> it's a nece- it's. It's, it's interesting because the, the whole apples and pears end of things has, you know, it has lasted. And that those particular words. But to me, rhyming slang, while I don't hate it, it's interesting. But it's kind of up there with the route master bus, the black cab, and London, things of though. that nature. Yeah. It's, it's a very London thing. It's also kind of touristy. I mean, you know, it's, you see these little, you know, teach yourself rhyming slang booklets next to the tills. Fair enough. And, and good luck the guy who did them. But been, it's, not, it's not... The trouble is people think it is slang, and it isn't. It's such a minor walk-on part. It's an extra. Do you also get examples of, uh, of TV programmes um, kind of inventing slang? Well, the one I was most fond of, I have a friend called Andrew Payne who used to write Minder in the days gone by, and although right. that's a while back. He had a, one, of his, one of his episodes that got, I think, Terry says to Arthur, back of the net. Back of the net. It's wonderful. Football imagery. And I shoved that in the dictionary. But truth was, I could never find any examples so of he for ages. And Andrew, I think, as far as I know, made it up. But it's now I see it occasionally in, in I've seen it in Guardian headlines. You see it. These things just bubble it. up. Steve Coogan's character used it. Oh, yeah? Oh, they, yeah, you're right. Yes. Yeah, yeah absolutely. But it as gives far it as, kind of, yeah, as, far as I'm, yeah, well, that's what would push it that bit further. Yeah, I mean, yeah. the things that came out of Minder, as I call, were her indoors, yeah. which actually went back to the 1920s. And VAT for vodka and tonic. Yeah. Nice little learner. It's, was that? Uh, was that? It's hard one? to say. I mean, it may have been popularised. I mean, only fools and horses. Kushti, very popular. Right, right. And what was the? Oh God! I mean, there were, there were lots in there. None of which, of course, I can remember. And it's difficult. With funnily enough, it's easy to get movie scripts. TV scripts are hard to get hold of. Right. Things like Porridge has been published. But. Modern stuff, it's very hard. Like? The Wire, for instance, you can't at the moment. You, and it's a problem for me, again, it's a time thing of sitting there, right, yes. you can find a place where, where to get, you can get DVDs or you can even naughtily download it. But actually to go through it. And of course, I mean, from my point of view, this is a real research thing, but once you've got the word, I want to put one example of each definition of each word for each decade it exists. This means booze, which comes on stream in 1560, is a, has got a lot of definitions. Something more modern... You know, yeti for a girl or something in hip in grime has obviously only got one one, one site or maybe yeti two. For a girl. Yeti, yet, yeti, or Jez is another one. Jezebel. There's lots of good stuff in what grime. About, I mean, do you do you do that? Do you find somebody like you know? Do you sit down with the works of Ian Jury, for instance? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Kind of like, only yesterday I was just checking. Where absolutely, and I know the whole. I mean, I, I was I was at a party in fact. 
Yes, I, I found I knew that knew Billericay Dicky almost in, in its entirety, but I have no intention of repeating this now. <laughs> the um, father helped me plan it, etc. Is it what is it God. is it the case that in hip hop, I get the feeling that hip hop, some of the slang seems to come from old English. Don't know about where. Well, once you start on that, you get say again. Crib. Crib. Crib's been around a long time. That's I what I mean. Crepes, <laughs> as in, as in crepes shoes. In shoes yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. no, no, no. Or sleds, which is another one for shoes. Sleds, yeah. yep. Have I got it? Have I got it? The fear <laughs> immediately sweat beads. And a car, a car is a whip, which almost sounds yeah. to me as if it ought to be a Victorian carriage or something. Yeah. Probably. But whip, I think, yeah. But I think, you see, the point is that that metonymy, making, making the object the entire thing, is, prob is probably there, is probably older. Um, it's, I mean, when you say it comes from Old English, it is English, so some of it, but I know that's not what you mean. But right. what, what you do see sometimes, and of course, as usual, I'm incapable of providing it off the top of my aging head examples, <laughs> but you will see, Australia is a good example, where stuff will have been preserved, as it were, in linguistic aspect, aspect from the uh, bits of Irish slang or London slang from the 18, you know, early, early 19th century, late 18th century, taken over there, and, it, and it's hung in. Same with certain bits of black slang. You get the same, the same thing. But, I mean, somebody came up with that stupid thing, Jafakan, a year or two ago. I mean, I, I'm glad, you, I'm glad you, 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 you shake your head because it was a journalistic nonsense. And it was basically, people supposedly, supposedly a sort of, it was a black version of Wiggers. It was people from the other islands wanting to be Jamaica, and it was was the Jamaican. It was the language they allegedly used. But what is interesting, really, about the hip-hop stuff is that, is that you, or certainly, no, not so much the hip, well, hip-hop, it has its roots, obviously, in American slang. Again, you've got the synonymous thing, so you've got to come up with a new word for fucking. You've got to come up with a new word for drinking, a new word for, for the drugs, for taking... I mean, UGK are very good. Um, the, 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 the Dirty South people. I mean, and I was, I, I mean, I do know. You asked me, do I, do I go through the works of... Yes, I mean, I, I, I mean, one of the great things for me is that I can go and I can download the entire typed-out lyrics of Underground Kings. I've got a, I've but the got problem with that... image of you, Jonathan, <laughs> sat there listening to me. They've got five or six albums, haven't they? I know they have. Of and impenetrable I've, Houston Well, hip -hop. it is wonderful. I mean, I love them, but, but I only knew to listen to them because of my 26-year-old son telling me to. And, and anyway, so I sit there with, my, with my, you know, all these lyrics, <laughs> and I, mean, I got to one line. I meant to bring it in, but... It's, I just could not understand a single word. <laughs> I know about purple, I know about drank, and I know about this, and I know about that. But there was this line, I do not know what he was saying. <laughs> and it's annoying, because it worries me, and I start to think, hmm, you're getting too old for this game. Why don't you know what this means? But there was nothing in it. You know, you, you can usually with slang, because of the synonymity, yeah. because of the thematic stuff, you can, like, get a little thread, and you tug on it, and then you suddenly it goes, woo. <coughs> I know where this came from. Same old, same old. Oh, boring. Or not maybe boring. Well, like, like Johnson and his, and his eight drunken Scotsmen, surely you I've got me. A, but I've got my well, partner. Yeah, but surely you need a, a bunch of kind of like 17-year-old uh, hoodies who can sit in a room and explain it all to you. But they never will. Yes, the one wanted hoodies to compile dictionary. Yes. They never know, but you see... With, with a, an, you think um, that'll be a short... To be, Mr. <laughs> to be Mr. Snotty, I mean, the point is that, uh, yes, you've got it. It's called the Urban Dictionary Online, which is a bigger piece of garbage as you'd ever wish to see. It is... Unmediated. It basically, I mean, it tells you 
It, well, how many hours have we all got to go through all the thumbs ups and yeah, thumbs, yeah, 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 thumbs yeah. downs? It's useless. It's fun. I mean, if you want something that's unmediated and fun, though, go to Viz. Go to Rogers, yeah. Rogers Profanosaurus. Oh, right. Fantastic. fantastic. <laughs> I mean, I can't. I'm, I am so jealous of a friend of mine who they've actually parodied his work in one of their fake fake examples. I mean, I... Oh. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll get a quote on the back of it. I want to I nominate one for consideration for, uh, for further additions, because Mark Allen mentioned it. Mark Allen, who is away this week, because he's on a yacht with Peter Which, Mandelson. Is this a saga yacht? <laughs> no, it's with Peter Mandelson, oh, right, okay. and a uh, Russian oligarch. He's completely above board. Um, <laughs> that that uh, He said it in last week's podcast, and it was only when I was listening back to it that I heard it. <laughs> Which is Lady Petrol. Did you hear that when he said it? And I said, Mark, did you say Lady Petrol? He said, yes, I did. Uh, and it's something he'd heard. He'd been to a, a Women in Publishing lunch. I think he was a speaker or something. And, um, and he was talking to these two women, and one of whom went to the bar and said, would you like a glass of Lady Petrol? And the other one said yes, and then returned with a glass of rosé. So, you know, I think that's quite good, isn't it? Jonathan's shaking his head. Uh, oh, no, well. I'm, my immediate thought, you see, this is my immediate problem, is I have to see it in print. Oh, well, or, yeah. or well, it, okay, well I'll write it down it. somewhere. <laughs> somebody could sing it. You're talking to a magazine I was going yes. to say, that, that yeah. would be possible. <laughs> yes, do not hesitate to put this in. I did, I, various people I've asked to do this. This is called cheating, but it does help. Well, I might, I might do that. Well, Jonathan, thanks very much. Uh, the book's out now. I've just, we've got a little bit of housekeeping we've got to do before okay. we finish, finish the podcast. Last week, uh, we were talking to uh, Graham Thompson about his book, I uh, Shot a Man in Reno, about death songs in popular music and death in popular music. And we asked people to nominate favourite death songs. I'm going to pick three winners here, Matt. Okay. okay? And, uh, and the first one is, unfortunately... People have still got silly names on the website. Despite Fraser's Fraser has uh, got, has got a username amnesty on the website. So if for years you've called yourself by some silly name and you'd like to come out as who you are, it's an <laughs> That's all be grown up. You have to, you have to go. Apparently the gates come down. Oh, well, I think he can put it up. He, might, he might, he said. Because he, he has to do, do it, it by hand. Whatever, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, a Southern River uh, suggests a, a, a song about, uh, I can't remember what the song is, but it's got, uh, a, to quote from it, when automatic sinks in airports no longer see your hands and elevated doors close on you and buses drive right past when the only voice that answers is the whir of a ceiling fan your great journey has begun <laughs> I like the automatic the automatic sinks in airports and, uh, and uh, somebody else uh, James E.B. Has, uh, has nominated When I Was Dead by Robin Hitchcock uh, which has the, the verse, and the devil asked me to supper. He said, careful with the spoons. God said, oh, ignore him. I've got all your albums. I said, yes, but he's got all the tunes. <laughs> we'll see Robin about that. And uh, I've got another one here. Oh, God, I've got a horrible feeling. This is, uh, this is, about, <laughs> this is by Southern River again. But I shall quote it anyway. He won't get two prizes. And uh, this is a song um, written by somebody. I think it's the Handsome Family. It says they made a career out of such songs, but a laugh out loud track is so long they're owed to all the various pets they've accidentally <laughs> offed over the years. And a sample lyric is So long to my dog Snickers, who ate Christmas tinsel. <laughs> so long to Miska Whiskers, who jumped out of a window. And to the family of gerbils who chewed out of their cage. And the little round brown rabbit I ran over by mistake. So long, so long. I'll see you on the other side. 
back next week with Andrew Collins, special guest. This podcast was brought to you by The Word. Details at wordmagazine.co.uk. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.